Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another edition of Adventures in Careerland. Adriano Magnifico. I am the career lead at the Louis Riel Arts and Technology Center, and we are in season six of the podcast. This is the 10th edition of this year's show, and that's part of our continuum of 72 podcasts. We're really making headway. We didn't know we'd get past three or four. We're at 72. How exciting. <laughs> That's great stuff. Hey, we're at the Broadcast Media Program here in the podcast studio. Many thanks to RBC for helping putting this podcast studio together. And this incredible production team at the Broadcast Media Program. That's one of 13 programs in the Louisville Arts and Technology Center. So these folks in this program are choosing to step off the beaten path of their high school plan. That is the K-12 plan and say... You know what? I want to try something different. I want to try a little more applied learning. And every time I talk to students who take some of the programs, there are other programs here like building trades, culinary arts, early childhood educator, electrical trades, aesthetics, hairstyling, new media design, plumbing, you name it. There's an opportunity for students here to move outside of the academic programming that school does well, but which isn't necessarily for everyone. And for some students who think they want a little extra push in their lives, a little extra chance to gauge and assess and think about their adventure, that's what the podcast is about. How do you craft an adventure that's going to fill people, fill people full of curiosity, optimism, possibility, even entrepreneurship, if that's the case? So that's what the program's about. We're always excited to do it. Always happy here in the broadcast media program. I have two student co-hosts, good-looking, smart. They are the package the co-host team of distinction and one of them is caitlin middlestad caitlin how are you today i'm good how are you i'm very good so caitlin how's your day going you're in the broadcast media program what was busy going on this morning i had to pull you guys out of class to come here yeah we were in our groups uh planning our little short films that we're doing in class and that's one of the pieces you do in this program, right? You work the Adobe Suite, you do uh, video editing, and you're making a film now? Yeah, a short film, a silent short film. So you, you can't talk. So you can't use words? No, this but is, we can use music and sound effects. Just like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Silent film. Are they black and white or color? Up to you. Ours is black and white and color. Of course. So. What's the effect of using black and white over color? dun na Oh no, she's chuckling. She has no idea. And of course, you're with Kate or Caden, Caitlin, Caden Siedler. 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 We never get his name right and because he doesn't know his own name. He's given us three different pronunciations. So how are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Now, what are you doing? Are you working on your silent film? Yeah, same thing. We're doing a bunch of After Effects stuff. Uh, this short film. We just we are me and my group got a little late on it. We were doing radio stuff last week, but uh, I can't believe you were late on something, Caden. Is that possible? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> but, no. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it seems exciting. We're doing a little Star Wars black and white short So why story. do you choose black and white over color? I think black uh, and white's a great medium. Well, yeah, the Charlie Chaplin thing, we're kind of going for that. But um, one Phoenix, actually, his idea, the co one of the co or producer there, he decided we should, uh, it'll be all black and white, but the, the lightsabers will be colored. So it's a little, a little bit of a... That's you know, cool. we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. There you out. go. How cool is that? Pop. What's the effect of using black and white over color, though? 
overall uh, you as, get to, as a motif for your films. You get to like kind of imagine what colors some stuff are, I'd say, maybe. You know, I like to, that. that. There you go. Yeah. Now we're getting a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you stimulate your imagination yeah. to think what this scene could look like in color. Yeah. Right? yeah. It really bugs me when they color up the old Christmas movies. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. My favorite movie, Miracle on 34th Street, for Christmas time. They color it up. Blah. Or, or, um, um, oh, Scrooge with Alistair Sim. Uh, the nineteen, the British ones, unbelievable. They color it up. It's dreadful. Some some films are meant to be in black and white. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Anyway, hey, what are you guys thinking today? I always got something to think about. We have a special guest today who's a pretty pretty cool person when it comes to sports. Elite athlete. Do you you do you two play sports? I used to before COVID. I played <laughs> I, soccer. I used to. So COVID <laughs> has destroyed every sport you're ever gonna do. Yeah. No, no one had You played soccer a lot? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I, I wonder about that. Now, what level did you play? I don't know. I played for the Wanaqua team. <laughs> I don't know what that... Okay. The old Wanaqua team. I, I guess you'd know you were at a higher level. I was just like with my people of my grade. I don't oh, know. that's a nice thing. So you were having fun camaraderie. That's the beauty of sport, right? Mm-hmm. You get to play in a team, hang out with your buddies. And Keaton, did you play any sport? Have you played any sports? I did. Or did, uh, or did COVID destroy your <laughs> no. life as well? Well, I actually, I was into hockey pretty big uh, for a while since I was like four years old, but uh, COVID didn't ruin that. It was kind of just getting older and you know, my, my things I like change and, you know, I started to play So what level hockey, hockey but, did you play? Uh, I think the highest got to like A1. I didn't go to At trip. that time, right? Yeah, I was... So you quit about 12 or 13, Right, right? before high school, so yeah, okay. I got into high school and all that. Got a little serious. I kind of dropped the, the hockey. Still play it every now and so, then, though. So, so you two play. You're enjoying the game. But we have a special mm-hmm. guest who probably started out like you guys, just wanting to play. Did you have any influences, like your parents or anyone who said, hey, do you want to play, uh, or someone in your background who, who yeah. pushed you a bit? Definitely my dad for hockey. Like, my whole dad's side are just diehard hockey fans. So they were – it was always around, always watching hockey and stuff with hockey was going on. So it's kind of – that's important, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, didn't you play soccer in your life? No, but my parents really wanted me to be into a sport because they thought it was good for me. And then once I got into it, my coach was like pushing me to stay in the game. He was like, no, don't leave, don't leave. Because he saw that it was doing good and giving me something to do. So. Oh, or maybe he thought you were very good at the game, something maybe to you. do. <laughs> I don't and, know. And you, and you left the team. Yeah. No, you broke, Sorry. Pro- probably broke the coach and the team's heart. Way to yeah. go, Caitlin. Anyway, our guest today is, uh, oh my gosh, she's an elite athlete. We, I feel very unworthy. I, I was always a fourth line person, and I played. She's an elite curler, uh, and she's won some Canadian championships. And been at a world championship. Those things are amazing, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm worried, I always wonder about world championships. Are the towels a little thicker? Are the chairs a little softer? We're going to find that out because our guest is Chelsea Carey. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. How are you guys? All right. I'm great. Chelsea, I want you to think about now, I, I, I like to bring up sports. I like to think about sports. Sports should be integral in my brain to any young person's life. Um, And you grew up around sports, around curling. Talk about that a bit. Yeah, I I grew up around kind of everything. My my parents, their sort of rule was that we we had to play a sport for each season. and, And we didn't have to necessarily stick with the first one that they put us in. 
but we had to play a sport every season. Um, they were big believers in that, so I grew up playing a little bit of everything, uh, being around around a lot of sports, and, and um, yeah, they, it was a big focus for them, and I am very grateful for that. And, and that makes a difference in your life. Like when you're organized, you got into curling at a very young age. And I remember you because you were in the career internship program, a program we started way back when. It's going on at Windsor Park even now, Chelsea. So it's been going on for about 25 years or so. I brought it from River East to Louis Real School Division at Windsor Park. And there's different hybrids of it. But you're one of those students where you're at the height of that program. There are like 100 students in grade 12 in that program. Do you remember those days walking down the hallways of River East Collegiate? Because that was the year, right? And uh, or, or the school. And do you remember thinking about being a grade 11 or 12 student? What was running through your head? Uh, I was planning um, university uh, already at that time, what I wanted to take when I was in university. And how I could make a job and, and curling work for me together. And not every job is conducive to that because your travel schedule as an athlete is pretty extensive. So it can be tough to find one that fits. So uh, yeah, I was, I was already making those kinds of plans when I was in grade, um, even probably 10, but 10, 11 and 12 for sure. Well, and, and think about that, like you are an anomaly. We talked, to, we talked on the phone a little bit yesterday about you're a student going through the hallways of River East and you've got a plan. Most high school students don't have that plan that you had now that's you coming from a young person going to the rink and i don't mean the hockey rink in canada it's often the hockey rink right you're going to the curling rink your parents are champions talk about that and your uncle right talk about that yeah, my mom my mom's not but so my dad and my uncle are both canadian champions um they won separately my uncle won when he was very very young in 1979 and my dad in 92. So I was there when my dad won. I was about six or seven um, when he won his Canadian championships. That was pretty cool. But yeah, I spent a lot of time. I was also a really, really competitive dancer until I went to university. And then it just was too much to do. But I was I was dancing every day of the week. And I was curling a couple days a week. And it was very busy when I was in high school. But uh, but those are, like you said, those are the choices that you're making. And when you're doing it, though, Chelsea, um you're getting up your your dad's getting up to practice or he's going to a bond spiel you said yesterday i w i wanted to tag along your dad incredulously said okay and and took you along so you're listening to this um you are or sorry you have this household where uh there's this culture of curling of going out curling all the time and you're tagging along all the time yeah i went with him a lot on on weekends and stuff when he'd be playing in uh if, if he was close to home i mean he did a lot of traveling too so he was on the road a lot but if he was playing in manitoba i wanted to go with him and go watch and and go kind of hang out at the club it was uh the i used to always say waitresses at the granite curling club in winnipeg um were my babysitters when i was a kid because i he would be there so much and i would just be there with him ordering my chicken fingers and fries and signing his tab for like printing my name on the tab line for them while he was out there practicing or playing or whatever it was uh definitely kind of part of the deal growing up so, but what made you want to choose curling over dance? Was it like the influence of your dad and uncle or? 
That's a good question. I, I, I love dance as much as I love curling, but I knew I was never going to move to Toronto or LA or whatever and chase. It's not, it's not a great lifestyle mm-hmm. um, to be a professional dancer. So at that, at that point I would have had to choose at some point I would have had to choose it as a profession. Um, and I, and I knew it wasn't going to be my profession yeah. uh, where I, where curling I could work, I could still have a career outside that and, and be a curler and stay in Canada where I live close to my family and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's hard hard to make it as a dancer unless you live in one of those major cities and even Toronto is borderline like you likely are should be moving to LA if you really want to chase it or New York um and I, I didn't want to do that now now what is a, a competitive dancer like what, what are you dancing do you know what I'm saying um, like, what, I, what does that look like are you Royal Winnipeg ballet style or you say competitive you're competing against people so I, I yeah we that's not clicking for me so what is it what, yeah, what does that look like yeah, so they they run it. There's a series of competitions, and it just depends on how much you want to travel and pay to go to them. But we used to go to one in Minneapolis every year, and then there's a couple that run in Winnipeg. Um, they've changed names since then, but they still they still run uh, right around now. So it, and I I did every I did ballet, but I, it was never my passion. I did um, ballet, jazz, contemporary variety, modern like tap, you name it. I I did it basically, and. So you were, it was a huge time commitment and, and yeah, we would travel, um, travel to some competitions and then compete in all the ones that were local as well. So what kind of dancing is it then that you were doing competitively? Like every kind, like I said, jazz, tap, ballet, variety, modern musical theater. Like I took, I did everything. I did basically every style that the studio offered. What was your favorite? Uh, jazz, contemporary was my favorite. Oh, that ever neat. So was that a hard decision saying I... I got to put that away. I got to concentrate oh, yeah, on curling. I still miss it, but it just something I had to give. I was going to university. I was working. I was curling and I was dancing, and it was just there was there was too much. So I knew I always knew it was going to be the thing I had to cut. But it was yeah, it was. I like I said, I, I still miss it to this day, and I haven't danced competitively in oh, almost twenty years now. Hey, how did how did dancing make you a better curler? Oh, dance is a great. Well, I I think cross sport like playing multiple sports is. is huge anyways I think I actually worked at the University of Alberta for a year on a program that essentially was trying to do that to make kids athletes instead of making them a particular like making them a hockey player because there's there is a difference so dance made me a better athlete in everything else I did and dance is a great one for body awareness and control um, because that's just what the skills that you need to have same as gymnastics they're they're a really great kind of a cross training program in that sense because you have to have so much control and so much awareness of your own body that that helps you as an athlete in any sport you want to pick up. Yeah, I can see that. Like some people, sometimes people talk about um, uh, sports and the crossover of sports. And there's a lot of great athletes out there who have said never isolate on one sport. It almost it almost beats you down when you well, don't take also, a small it break. It also makes you more injury prone um, because you're doing the same repetitive motion all the time. There's no variety. It, you risk a burnout. You risk. It's just not a good strategy. Uh, and then if you don't make it at that sport, like kids who want to play hockey, they want to be a professional hockey player. Well, the odds are that you're not going to be that. And what tends to happen is if they only play hockey, they don't end up picking up another sport. They just don't play anything because they've never really been exposed to another sport. So we, uh, the program that I was in, was the idea was to introduce them to a complementary sport um, in addition to whatever they were playing that had a lot of the same skill sets, but at least get them to play that on off days and, and during the day and stuff to try to make them into bit more more well-rounded athletes versus just a specific skill for a specific sport. So while you were playing, while you were curling, were you still doing any other sports on the side? or? 
Uh, I golf in the summer, and, and we, my family's got a cottage out uh, in northern Ontario, so skiing and, and wakeboarding and that kind of thing, but nothing else competitive. There's, there's just no time. Like yeah. When I was in university and my, curl, my travel schedule for curling, so great, I want to join a league that's on Tuesday nights. Well, I'm going to miss like eight or nine of those because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be gone, right? So it just made it hard to do anything else competitively. In the summer, I would pick up, go golfing or, or hiking or that kind of stuff, and, and a lot of time on the water when I lived back home in Manitoba, but... Uh, yeah, nothing else competitive. It just uh, there just it wasn't any real way to balance it. Well, curling has been so darn important to you. It's, and I wondered even going down the hallways because I interacted with you in those days when you were looking for the Asper School. You also did advanced placement courses, which are pretty high end courses. They're, they're actually university courses, and you're doing competitive dance and you're doing curling. And we had the the beauty of the career internship program. We called it SIP in those days. Um, was that we would offer that flexibility to you. And uh, we talked a bit about that, the importance of that programs, programs like that, that offer flexibility to people who have a vision just beyond the K to 12 routine of finishing high school. And I, and I even recall my own son who was a rower and had to go to a, a particular school that would allow him the flexibility to go off into the States for regattas without affecting his academic standing. So um, that program I thought was ideally suited to you. Um, and does education need to have more of that? What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was, it, for me personally, it was really helpful because I had been taking the advanced placement courses before grade 12. And I didn't care about the science ones because at that point I determined that I wasn't going into science. So I was, I had been taking AP Chem and Physics as well. But I knew I didn't need those. But I wanted the calculus one because it gives me a university credit if I do well enough on that exam. So I wanted to take that one. But it didn't align with the SIP timeline with the, with the way the classes were scheduled a bit differently because your last nine weeks was an internship so you weren't in school so they you guys let me go and still take calculus and kind of worked around it and then when I applied for my internships I had to tell them like I'm going to need a two-hour lunch on this day this day and this day because I got to go back to school for calculus class because it ran a bit later than the SIP classes did into my internship so um, the uh, company that I worked for which was the Sheraton that used to be on Donald there downtown they let me do that. So having that flexibility allowed me to accomplish multiple things. If Otherwise, I would have had to choose between SIP and calculus, and then I would have had to take it in university, and then that isn't ideal, and I wouldn't, wouldn't have been as prepared for it in university. There was just a lot of good things that came out of me being able to kind of do both, even though it felt like a bit of a juggling act. Just the It, it lets you get creative about things that you want to do and, and make a plan more than if you just follow the prescribed, the normal kind of eight to four schedule that you would have in school. Is there enough of that in school, like opportunities for you to be as creative as you were in, in your schedule? Or um, I guess I'm asking, where, what can we do better in the school system to help students find their best selves? Because you were in that small, most kids aren't like you, Chelsea, in school. Like they're not focused. You're thinking grade 10, I'm, I'm going to be curling. I want to curl. I got to find education that connects to that curling. And the Asper, the Asper school at the U of M and a business program in general gives you a certain flexibility um do schools need to be stronger that way yeah i think that's probably a good thing it sounds like the program that you guys have there is and and i also think that focusing or giving students some some students opportunities for non not non-academic but not traditional programming to to go and do something like broadcasting like i would have done that if i if i had this option that you guys have when i was in school i totally would have done that that would have been what i would have picked but we didn't have that. So then again, you're kind of handcuffed to those more traditional routes to, to get anywhere. And 
the more traditional, you know, English, math, science, that kind of thing, which I'm not, I mean, certainly, even though I, like, I, I did well in school and it wasn't terribly difficult for me, it would have been nice to have more options outside that versus all just the super traditional stuff and traditional career choices that are essentially being forced down your throat, which isn't necessarily a great thing either. So I think the more diversity and the more flexibility you can have in that kind of programming is is going to benefit students, especially students who, who don't want to go, you know, and become a doctor or, or a chemist or whatever, where it's following those super traditional routes to, to get to what your career is. No, well said, well said. I, I'm thinking the Sheraton too. I, I think back in those days, we had a number of students would intern at the Sheraton. What did you get from that space when you went off to do that? Because remember in those days, you were allowed to choose your space. Do you recall that? Well, you had to apply. It was like yeah. a job. You had to apply to a bunch of them and then rank them kind of thing. And then you, you match to whatever your highest one was. My highest one was actually the Bombers, um, but I didn't get that one. But uh, the Sheraton was great. They were great to me. And it was just like just having practical real world job experience your like your your full day every day versus we've all probably worked a part-time job at that point you worked two or three hour shifts and that kind of stuff but i was answering phones and and doing some scheduling stuff and all like it was they actually let me do quite a bit which was really cool because i had never had an experience like that i worked at sears portrait studio taking pictures of babies and and you know at the animal tracks cafe at the zoo feeding people french fries like it, it was just never anything that was super applicable where when I worked at the Sheraton, it was more, it was a sales and marketing kind of position, which is what I wanted to get into. So um, it was really quite a neat experience. Well, that's awesome. And now taking pictures of babies, what was the worst experience you had there? That, that's that's got to be crazy. Oh, it was not my favorite <laughs> job. <laughs> um, I didn't ever have like a horrendous experience, but, you know, parents get really protective if the pictures don't turn out well. And I'm like, well, like we're talking about a one-year-old, like they can't sit still. They can't, like, like we can't reason with them. So yeah, it was not not the best, not my most fun job <laughs> I, ever. But I could just imagine fun. you holding up some of those little plush animals or toys, shaking it, going. Oh, Look that is here. exactly what you do. Yeah, with the with the and you're making all kinds of ridiculous faces and noises <laughs> to try to get them to even just look at you. Never mind smile. Yeah, it was quite the uh, quite the undertaking for sure, but. I mean, it was it worked at the time, so it was fine. But and what was it about selling French fries? Think about the selling French fries thing you did. Well, it wasn't selling them; it was just working at the counter. That was my first job when I was fifteen and a half. Like when everybody else was working at McDonald's, I happened to get a job at the zoo, and it was the same thing. It was just taking the order and handing them their food. Yeah, but what do you learn out of that? Think about that. Uh, I mean, as a fifteen-year-old, that one, that one, you you just learn what like the value of a dollar essentially like your first job that's really all it's about it's now i'm responsible for paying my own bills and things like i had to pay for gas and stuff so i needed to but then you know you think that money is not you don't realize how valuable it is until you actually have to work for it and do that math like i made six dollars an hour at the time so you're you're doing that math as far as like okay so now i want to buy this shirt and it's forty dollars how many hours of work did i put in and is it worth it then to me like $40 all of a sudden becomes there's there's a, a gauge there for what that's actually worth and time wise. And, and, you know, you do that. All of a sudden you look at that shirt and go, yeah, I don't want it that bad. Like, <laughs> that means I have to work for that many hours to get that money. I don't I don't want it that bad. It's not worth that much to me or it is. But either way, you learn the value of money. Oh, my gosh, you are you were mature beyond your years. I, I mean, I was. It, it, when I got money and I worked somewhere, and I remember you said you got six bucks an hour. My first job, I don't want to date myself with two dollars and five cents an hour. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, back in the thirties, okay. And it was uh, 
It was a difficult time, I'll tell you. <laughs> anyway, I think if you in the hallways of school then, and you're going through this, you're driven, you're you're focused, you're moving on things, you want to go to Asper School, and you, you got accepted. Your average was pretty high too, as I recall, wasn't it? Uh, in, in high school? Yeah. Yeah, I think I graduated with an 89 or something like that. Yeah, you're close to 90, so you got, you got yeah. automatic entry into Asper, so you're... It's right off, right out of high school, you're right into Asper doing doing your gig. Now, what kind of sacrifices do you have to make in high school to be a competitive dancer, to be a, a, an elite curler? Because you moved into the curling level. I want to talk about that in a minute. But what, what sacrifices do you have to make in high school? And do you regret any of them? Or do you feel like maybe I should have backed off a bit? What are you thinking in those days? No, I don't, I don't regret any of them from high school. I regret not traveling when I was done university um, earlier. I didn't, I mean, I was traveling for curling, but I regret not just going to, to Greece and all that stuff because I've done that later in life, but I wish I would have done it then. But anyway, I, in high school, no, I'm, but the sacrifice was just that, you know, people would be hanging out after school or going for dinner or whatever and be like, hey, do you want to come? I'd be like, no, I can't. You know, like I've got, I've got dance from 5 to 9 p.m. or I've got work or I've got a game or whatever it is. That I just, I, it, your social life takes a hit in the sense that you're not, you're, you're unavailable a lot to your friends. So then, and sometimes they don't understand that if they're not involved in any yes. kind of other activities, extracurriculars yes. and things. So then you sometimes take some flack from them and stuff, or, or you maybe, you know, it, it might dictate who your friend group is just because, you know, other people that are doing the same thing at least understand that a little bit more, but it might limit it in that way. But yeah, it was mostly just they were doing something fun and I couldn't go to it. Um, was the was the biggest sacrifice, but yeah, I don't. I definitely don't regret it. I think that the sports that I played um, shaped me in in some ways that are really important, and it also they also keep you out of trouble. Not that I'm sure I would have gotten into any, but who knows if you uh, troublemaker, troublemaker, Carrie. I can see that. No, I'm not. I've never have been, but um, but it's just one of those things. I think it's important in all those ways, but it also teaches you discipline and, and all that kind of stuff. So you know, delayed delayed gratification essentially like yeah no i can't go out with you tonight but i can on like i'll see you at the party on saturday and in the meantime i've done all these productive things so it's good it just it's a it's you have to embrace the yes. delayed gratification piece and you must have made some incredible relationships in your curling and dancing worlds didn't you yeah most of my long-term friends are somehow from curling they might not be curlers but i met them through curling somehow um almost all of my current friends and this is now 20 something years later um, would still there's still a way to tie them back to curling most of them well that's amazing stuff that's when you're thinking of your life and moving forward and what it takes to become that elite curler like when did you feel like I think I can be an elite curler because that's got to be a weird thing I mean I played fourth line hockey and I there was never even a wisp of a dream in my heart of that. Even my buddies, I thought, and maybe one out of, you know, 200 guys you're skating with, all right, maybe that guy's got a shot. When do you figure out in your own mind that I, I got a shot of being an elite curler? Yeah, I mean, I think I always thought it because I watched my dad do it. And so I, I think that I always kind of knew that I had a chance at it, but I didn't really focus on it until I quit dance. So until university, and, and at, it's not like this anymore, but when I was coming up through juniors, there wasn't a lot of events for the juniors. So your commitment wasn't as big. You didn't you practice kind of once or twice a week with your team and you'd play in your leagues on one or two nights and you'd go to maybe three or four bond spiels in a year, then play in provincials and hope that you won kind of thing. So it was pretty limited. Now there's a full junior tour 
uh, in most provinces. So they, they can play a lot more and they have a lot more opportunities than, than I had at the time. So I, I always, I think I always thought that I could be, I just, I wasn't really going to focus on it until I got through that part with the dance and, and then left that kind of world. And then when I was just in university and curling, I could really chase it. Um, so I started really trying to make it as a curler when I was in probably my early twenties. Uh, but I always had it in the back of my mind that I would be curling, like what we were talking about before. Like, I knew I wasn't going to be a dancer for the rest of my life. I knew that that had a shelf life, but I always knew that curling would be the one that I stuck with. But how much are you practicing there, Chelsea? Is that like where I I want to get really good? Are you practicing every night? Like when, any oh, yeah, Now I practice every day. Every um, day. Not, not in the summer, but every day in, during the season, they take the ice out in the summer. So, you, you know, but then I'm in the gym. Like, then it's the cross training and trying to build... Uh, well, trying to rehab all the injuries that you have and then trying to build up some strength and endurance and that kind of stuff so you're ready to be better next season than you were last season. So there's a lot of that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, during the season, I'm on the ice every day, and I'm still in the gym three three to five days a week, depending on the week. Um, and then you're also putting in some time and work with a mental trainer, with a nutritionist probably, with a team coach or a team dynamics person. Like, you're, you're, you got to train all the areas. It's not just about being good on the ice. It's you got to get your head right. you got to get the nutrition figured out, like all that stuff, right? Oh, my gosh. So, man, that's that sounds like quite the schedule. So you're, you're working on all parts of you as a person. How physically demanding is it to be a curler? Because when you look at it, I mean, my... My dad went into curl. My dad played bocce. He was a he was a, a champion bocce player. He's an Italian guy, right? We're Italians, and he's a champion. And he would go to parks all over the place, and he'd compete constantly. He practiced constantly at Coronation Park with his with his friends, and they just won and won and won. And he always said to me, he wanted to take up curling. Why? Because he thought it was bocce on ice, and he just liked yeah. he liked the chess game of it. He liked that part yes. of it. And then he went out there and he tried to do it little more physically taxing he said my knees can't do this as well so how physically taxing is that and the kind of workouts and do you ever feel where you're in pain and you can't go on and what and, and you're constantly taking care of yourself like you say talk more a little bit about that because i don't think people think sometimes how difficult it is to be an elite curler yeah it's hard sorry it's hard oh go ahead Jill. sorry that's okay. Uh, it's hard on your body for sure, and it depends what position you're playing. Like for front end players who are who are sweeping more, it's very physically demanding because not only is it about the throwing of the rock, but then the sweeping of it is actually very very physical. So um, you've got to be you've got to be in really good shape to to be a sweeper. But even just the throwing, it's what the challenge with it is. It's so one sided. So my left hip is super compressed. My left hamstring is super stretched all the time all this weight is on my knee my full body weight is on my knee in kind of the lunge position that you get into yes meanwhile your right hip is super extended and your right hamstring is super compressed because it's the opposite so it just leads to a lot of lopsided like i can't i have to do everything single leg i can't double leg squat because my there's so many imbalances uh, in the two sides that it's hard hard on your body that way my my knee's been a, been a problem since i was about 16 or 17 so it's constant management there and and playing through pain and anti-inflammatories and cortisone shots and MRIs and all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, it's definitely my physiotherapist is is my hero. He he keeps putting my broken body back together. And the older you get, the worse it gets. So that's not uh, not helping the process either. But yeah, it's it's definitely a lot. It's a it's a lot of repetition in a very one-sided, um, very lopsided kind of a movement. Well, that's 
you sound like a, a great Canadian hockey player now, where these guys go through the playoffs and you find out they got a broken bone or they got a sore knee. And I just had a knee replaced, and I, and uh, because it went after bat catching and hockey goalie and all those kinds of things, just beat up. So, you're how how long do you figure you want to go on this? Like continue with this before it becomes physically too demanding or debilitating to you as a person because you want to live a life too, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to, I'm like, there's two different disciplines now. There's women's and men's curling, and then there's mixed doubles. Mixed doubles schedule right now is a lot lighter. The games are shorter uh, and the events are shorter. So that one, you probably have a little longer shelf life playing. Um, I, this is probably my last cycle for women's curling, and I'm not playing women's next year. I'm just going to play mixed doubles. I think I might have one more after that in me for doubles, but I'm not sure. Like you, you sort of. It's easy to say that now, but but you definitely you go you go sort of in four-year cycles. You plan it around the, the next Olympics. So I'll play doubles for the rest of this one, and maybe some women's in the back half of it, and then I'll figure it out from there. But probably no more than than one more after that, I would think. So the next six, seven years, maybe. So have you achieved what you want to achieve? You've been a, a champion. Give us a little rundown of some of your great accomplishments. Uh, yeah, so um, provincial champion uh, three times, I guess. A Canadian champion, or sorry, four times. Canadian champion twice. Um, so two Worlds appearances. But the one that's missing, A, is a medal at Worlds, which we didn't get. We didn't unfortunately do either time. And B is the Olympics. I've lost two Olympics trials finals. Um, so... It's a tough game to lose because you get oh, yeah. you get nothing for making that final, and and it's only every four years. So the, the Olympics is the ultimate dream, um, but I'm I'm running out of time for that. So I we'll guess so. If, eh? I, if I get to cross that one off, I don't know yet. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the only like a medal at Worlds and the Olympics. I've also won the, the Pro Tour, so to speak. Curling isn't separated into pro and amateur right now, but the Pro Tour, the closest thing that we have to it is called the Grand Slam of Curling yes, Series, yes. and and I won one of those as well. Um, so that was a big accomplishment because it's actually harder to win than anything else than a Canadian championship or a world championship. The slams are the hardest thing to win because they have, it's all just all the best teams, top 15 teams in the world that play in them. So they're very difficult. So that was a big one for me too. I would like to win a few more of those if I could. Oh, I betcha. So is, is the Olympics the goal of every curler now, now that it's in the Olympics? Like Pretty is... much. Any top level curler would certainly be usually thinking about that. I think so. That's, but you know, some of the stuff you've done has been unbelievable. And uh, as as Canadian, I'm always because because you're one of my students as well. Um, whenever you were on television, I'd always have a little eye just watching. Even when we had to go somewhere, come on, let's go. I just want to watch this. I just want to watch this play out. Why? Yeah. You know, I think why are you watching? I don't know. I just want to watch it, and I don't tell. It's Chelsea out there. I want to watch it. I want to see how she does. So I, I, I've always, I've always kind of followed you, and I've always been so proud of you, and just so, so energized when I see your team play because I just, um, I just think you've done great stuff. It's tough to be an elite curler, and you've just outlined a little bit about what it takes, the extra effort it takes to become that kind of player. So, uh, congratulations on all of it. This is, I know you have a few goals left, but I honestly, I think you've done just fine. I think you've, I think you've done Canada proud too. That's pretty cool. Um, Thank you. Are there any now? If you were if you were sitting in a room with a with grade 11's Chelsea, what would you tell them as some some advice about living your life and moving forward after high school? Uh, I think it's 
Oh, it's going to sound cliche, but I didn't win anything when I was in juniors as a curler, which isn't what, I mean, you'd think that at some point, if you're a good enough player to make it to the elite level that you would have won something. And I never did. And I tell this to young curlers all the time. It, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If you want this, the ultimate goal, it's not about right now. It's not, it's not about winning right now. It's about planning and setting yourself up to win later when, when it really matters. Because the, the, most of the things that matter in, in sports, anyway, in curling anyways, it's a later development sport. It's not until you get into men's and women's. So it's not until you're in your late 20s and early 30s that you're really going to start winning the big things. So the whole first part is, again, it's back to that delayed gratification piece. And I would say that about school and about everything else is, is it's, it's not going to be super fun in the process. You go to university and you're... I mean, I, I got, at least got to live at home. Um, well, got to. That saved me money, but it also made me feel like I was kind of stuck. I was still living with my parents. All my friends had moved out. I had no money um, to move out. And I was just, it, it wasn't a lot of fun at a lot of the time. But I knew what I wanted and where I wanted to go. And so you have to, you have to accept that it's, that the process itself is going to have some pain points and, and it's going to be frustrating and it's going to kind of beat you down a bit and, and, that's normal and that's okay and and you got to push through it if it's what you really want or you got to reevaluate you know maybe it's not maybe the traditional thing you, you start school and you realize it's not for you then it's okay to change it's never too late to chase something either and and so i think you make a plan but having some flexibility in the plan and, and kind of rolling with the punches is important as well as you go through life in general um you know th things are going to change and get thrown at you and you got to be able to adapt to them hey that's good advice Part of that is too. Uh, there's going to be the pain. It's almost like you've you've had to embrace the pain sometime, right? The uncertainties. Just quickly, what were the uncertainties that kind of held you back that you kind of overcame? Can you name one or two of them that were really important in your life where you overcame them and and you saw this incredible growth? Like it was it was a, some great moments for you. Do you have anything that you can think about quickly? Yeah, I um, the big one for me has been trying to balance a career with curling, which is getting harder and harder as the curling schedule gets more and more demanding. Um, so my first job, my first real job at a university was as a territory manager for Sealy Mattresses Posturepedic. And I was there for six years. And then the year of the Olympic trials in 2013, and my first Olympic trials, which was in December of that year, they gave me an ultimatum in January between my job and curling because they weren't going to give me all this time off anymore. They've decided that's too much. And there was a new guy in charge of the company, and he was not having it. So I quit that job um, because of the Olympic trials. But wouldn't they want you in there, Chelsea, as, as kind of an ambassador and stuff? Like, oh, you that would be, think so. I, you would think that, so. That sounds that's insane not how to me. it was at all. I mean, yeah, that, sounds not, like a, that sounds like a myopic manager, honestly. They I, were not supportive at all the whole time I okay. was with them, really. I, I managed to make curling fit into the job for the most part while I was there, but I wasn't surprised when they finally said, no, that's enough. And then I've actually had another job do the same thing to me about nine months in. They were like, told them all about curling. Yeah, all good, all good. We're, we're excited. We're happy. We're, you'll be an ambassador. You'll do this. And then when they actually had to live with it, um, they were like, no, just kidding. We can't handle it. So just they let me go as well. So, yeah. So like I've had to deal with a few, with quite a few things like that career wise with trying to fit it into curling and having curling be the priority, but I also need to pay the bills. So I need to work as well. Um, so trying to find jobs that fit with it or trying to financially survive without working or only working part-time or whatever has been a very major challenge and major uncertainty and makes me go like, do it. Is this really, 
worth it? Like, is, is chasing curling really worth it? Because trying to balance two is, seems impossible a lot of the time. Uh, so that's been the biggest one in my career is just trying to have a career in addition to being an athlete. Hey, do you feel like you found a home with, I think you're with Kids Sports, right? Kids Sport Alberta, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, I'm, I've only been there three months, so it's still really new, but but it's, a, it's an organization that means a lot to me. I've been an ambassador for them for... Uh, eight years or so since I moved to Calgary and um, you know it's we talked about the importance of sport in child's lives and that's essentially what we do is families that can't afford it can apply for a grant yes, to kids sports yes. so that their kids don't have to sit there watching just because they financially can't can't swing it so it's it's a cause that's near and dear to my heart so getting to actually work for them is is fulfilling to me in, in a, a number of ways it's 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 a nice career move and it fits with what I want to do long-term and all that stuff, but it also lets me make a difference um, in, in more ways than just being the ambassador. I still get to do that, but I also am on, on the ground as far as working for the organization itself. So it, it, it seems like a good fit um, in, in a lot of ways. And, and they're happy for me to be go, you know, on TV and all that. Cause I'm an ambassador for them. So it, it gives them some value back from me. You know, the time that I am away, um, they see some value in that too. Yeah, that sounds like the right fit for you, and it seems to fit into who you are and what's important to you. I think that's, it sounds like you got a winner there. I hope it is. I think so. I yeah. think so. It's still new, but it yes. certainly feels like that to me, too. Yes. You know what, Chelsea, interesting things you shared about um, your life, your pl your plan, your vision, sometimes your pain, physical and, and, and mental. These are all important parts of who you are and it's just been awesome that you've been sharing them with us we're going to do something right now i'm going to turn it over to katie called quick cues he's going to throw you a few he's going to explain to you what this is this is pretty quick so yeah. don't do a lot of thinking on this one the thinking is done chelsea yeah. is what i'm saying <laughs> okay there's gonna be some random quick questions here and uh yeah just answer as best you can hope this is good here all right uh first one cats or dogs both Tim's or Starbucks? Starbucks. Favorite holiday? Mm, July long weekend. Dance or curling? Curling. Uh, super speed or super strength? Super speed. Summer or winter? Summer. Hamburgers or hot dogs? Hamburgers. Uh, are you more lone wolf or teamwork? Teamwork. Novels or TV shows? TV shows. Call or text? Text. And what is your favorite podcast? This one, obviously. Yay! And now, Chelsea, you won a big award. No, actually, <laughs> when you are in town, yeah, we wouldn't have aired this if you didn't say that. So congratulations, Chelsea, on answering that last question correctly. Uh, of course, you disappointed your old English teacher. Uh, novels... <laughs> Or movies? You said movies? I did. Yeah. Okay, so my heart is cleft in twain. <laughs> and that's from Hamlet. Just uh, just to pull that, push that knife in a little deeper. Anyway, hey, thanks for doing this, Chelsea. What a lot of fun talking to you. I just... Uh, my pleasure. It's, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so nice to catch up with you. And we haven't spoken. I said we were chatting yesterday. I haven't spoken to you in 20 years for sure. And I just follow you on TV and listen for your interviews, so you're kind of speaking to me through the television. But now it's finally, we're having the real conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to ask one thing. Do you, uh, do you know Jennifer Jones? Like, I wasn't wondering if you guys are friends at all. 
your friends yeah, have a lot I of curves. Yeah, I sure do, yeah. She's, she's older than me, but I but I played against her since I've been in women's. She was already winning everything. So, okay. yeah, I've known her for 20-plus years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think you're at Caden's a Windsor Park yeah, grad. Jennifer a, Jones is yeah, a Windsor Park yeah. grad. She's, so. a, she's a royal. Yeah, royal. she's a royal. So he's excited. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Good. Chelsea, thanks so much for doing this. I can't tell you what it means. It's going to mean for our viewers. This podcast goes to a lot of students, and I think you've said a lot of very inspirational things. I think you can inspire a few students to think, I can do that, I, or I can work a little harder. I, I, that's possible for me, and that's what this podcast is about. Your adventure is very important to helping young people see their own adventures. So I appreciate you doing this and taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, and ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another edition of Adventures in Careerland. Mm-hmm.